Sarah podcast. Research matters. Hello, my name is Jihan Ismail and I am your host today. I am one of the ECR network conveners, currently a final year PhD student at the University of Bath and an associate lecturer at Oxford Brookes University. This episode follows from the Beresere Academic Publishing webinar series that took place earlier in June. And the webinar focused on academic publishing from an early career researcher's perspective. I invite the audience, of course, to watch the recording on the Bearer website. In today's episode, I am so pleased to carry on the conversation with our guest speaker, Dr. Achla Gupta. Dr. Achla Gupta is a lecturer in sociology of education in the School of Education at the University of Southampton. Her research focuses on investigating educational issues sociologically. Achla's current interest, I would say, include education delivery systems, formal and supplementary, and schooling practices in Asia, as well as students' aspirations and transition into higher education in Europe. She has published research on the heterogeneity of middle-class advantage, teacher entrepreneurialism, uh, social legitimacy and the organizational arrangement of private tutoring in India alongside explorations of how students are made a sense of by policy, staff, the media and students themselves in Denmark, England, Ireland, Germany, Poland and Spain. In June, Atla presented her experience in publishing since uh, completing her PhD degree in 2018 and across three years of holding postdoctoral position and now as a lecturer at Southampton University. Today, Atla and I are furthering the discussion on publishing early on your career. We will also explore other less formal publishing tools such as writing blogs, book reviews and podcasts. Meanwhile, I will also ask Achla about the challenges one in a similar position may face and ways to overcome them. So hello Achla and it's a pleasure to have you on board today. Thank you so much Jihan for having me and uh, really looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. So to start, I am interested in starting the conversation today with of course reminding our audience that you started your publication history with four articles, some of which were from your PhD, but also quite a few from other projects and under a different research capacity. And drawing on your good experience being an ECR, could you help unpack an area of interest to me personally, to be honest, and maybe to students and ECRs, which is more focused on the rationale of publishing? So I'm here speaking beyond the instrumentality of uh, for recognition, discoverability and uh, career progression or promotion, which are, of course, very legitimate motives for publishing. But is this suffice or do other motivations equally matter? So I'm here particularly referring to academic writing as a discursive tool for the development and generation of knowledge. So I'm really interested to hear your take on that. Yes, absolutely. I think like anything, including the purpose of education itself, there are different motivations for publications as well. One of the things that you have already highlighted 
publications are quite essential if one needs to stay in academia and pursue career in this field. But I think for me, there were always multiple interests with regards to publications. Obviously, there was this instrumentality associated with it. But at the same time, I really, really enjoyed writing. And as you rightly pointed out, it is a discursive mode of knowledge production in specific ways. So in every single article, I can tell you a different background stories. So every article has its own life, if you will. And it started off with one idea. I looked at one thing and I thought of something. And then then everything sort of leads to a particular research ideas that you have. Then you go to the field and then you come back with certain data and then you analyze it. So it all of it has certain stories. And for me, I think publication, therefore, was essential, not just from professional point of view, but also from personal point of view. With every single publication, I could see myself sort of creating my own identity, color, making mark in terms of what is my particular field of expertise or interest. So I think it is both professionally enriching exercise, but at the same time, it is also a tool for personal development for me. I think particular, I, I really, really enjoy the writing process in and of itself. And it's just so wonderful when you write your first draft and then you look at it after some time and you just then rewrite. And then it's so wonderful to compare the two drafts. You just move on uh, from being one person to another person in that particular field of expertise, so to speak. And that really feels good, uh, as simple as that. Therefore, I really, really believe that publications and publishing, although obviously there are multiple competing interests because of neoliberalism, etc. But from personal point of view, I thoroughly enjoy the process. It's really interesting and and also also useful to recognize that other motivations are equally significant. You've mentioned uh, developing some sort of a scholarly kind of identity as well, and that doesn't come from thin air, obviously, but it comes from the process and then the journey itself. Um, I'm also interested in that sort of like contribution to the knowledge that, as I said, doesn't come. Uh, all of a sudden or comes from just one paper, for example, or something like that. But it's an ongoing engagement with your ideas and how they develop through writing. So this is very important. And sometimes it's not much talked about, I would say, in terms of focus uh, in training for academic writing or publications and, th- and things like that. I, I really thank you, of course, for your answer. And I think a natural progression from this would be a question about the ways this drive to elaborate ideas and and generate new knowledge can impact your writing approach and and can impact the strategies that you adopt uh, in order to carry on a a successful writing process. For example, uh, the journal choices, the the skills involved, even your engagement with with the peer review process as well. So how is that impacting uh, all that? Yeah, I mean, to be very honest, when I was still doing my PhD, you know, the great advice that I received was from a senior of mine that don't think about writing as a solitary process. Think about as if you are talking to other people. So when I'm writing, I usually 
write in a way as if I'm talking to different scholars in my field of interest and then try to make them talk to each other and then me trying to talk to them. So it's really very conversational piece in some ways. And I think that really helps in terms of thinking about writing. It becomes less daunting. It becomes much more accessible. In many ways, I would just start reading some of the material and then I'll make notes. Oh, you, this particular person said this, but it doesn't make sense in this particular context. And this other person has looked at this context and it does make sense slightly differently in that context. And then I propose my own intervention in this. So it just sort of becomes a very interactive process of writing. Another aspect that you mentioned about the publishing process, I think depending on the timeline and the necessity of getting things out, generally I really, really enjoy reviews. It's fantastic for two people to have looked at your paper thoroughly and providing useful and constructive feedback. That is if they're not playing Revere too. Generally, you receive really good feedback. And I have been really fortunate to have received really constructive feedback. There was one article on teacher entrepreneurialism, for example. I received fantastic feedback, including using potentially a different conceptual framework. And then I took my time. I read the whole book that they had suggested me to read. And as a result of it, my analysis was much better. Uh, some of the people who have come back to me asking about that particular article and that in different occasions when I have shared that paper, people usually comment the analysis part. But I think I would give credit to that reviewer whose name I don't know to have provided that substantial feedback. Without that, I would not have actually achieved that goal. So I think I really appreciate the reviewing process as an author and really genuinely engaging with those reviews. This makes the work a little bit better, in my opinion. It's Obviously, it's not necessarily the case for every single article. There are few comments that do not make sense. They are out of the scope of the article. That's fine. But I always try to keep open mind about incorporating different kinds of feedback. If it enriches my work, I definitely take due time and work with it. And I really enjoy that part because, again, it comes back to the motivation of personal development. This is a great opportunity for me to realize that goal. So I, I, I never let it go. Uh, this, is, this has been my approach for publishing and looking at the reviewing process. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I think you, you point out some, some key useful strategies that I think that many of us as, as ECRs or PhD students can relate to as well. And, but does it really affect the, the way you or how you choose your, the journal that you publish in as well? As in how your motivations can drive the, those kinds of choices about the journal? I think in terms of choice of the journal, for me, there has been only one thumb rule. If I'm reading articles on that particular topic, then I'll always make sure where are these articles coming from. If the majority of articles are coming from one particular journal, I'm most likely to submit my manuscript for publication for that particular journal. It makes sense because we are all looking for, as I said earlier, every article has a story. So therefore, every article needs a good home. So if those stories are being narrated by other articles in that journal, it is best to try that one for your own article. This has been my approach. 
And I gave some examples during the workshop about this. For example, for the article on heterogeneity of the middle class, I was 100% sure that British Journal of Sociology of Education is the right place for this. I've read many influential pieces of work on that topic of parental engagement and educational disadvantage in that journal. So, And I knew that I would be sort of contributing a little bit to that discussion and debate. So that was, without any doubt, the right journal for that particular article. Similarly is the case for other articles as well. So yeah, motivations in terms of ability to contribute to ongoing discussion, now coming back to that point, can then help you making a decision about which journal you would want to choose for a particular article. And another thing I wanted to add, something that I learned along the way is If you're working, for example, in the larger field of sociology of education, there are many journals. One of your topic might speak directly to one journal, but another topic from the same project might speak to another journal. So I think at the beginning, I just thought there are very few options for me. But as I tried to explore, I realized that they might not have sociology of education in their title, but the journals would specify in their aims and purposes whether or not they are actually looking for a sociology of education article. So one needs to just explore these four different kinds of journals in order to understand what kind of topic would fit in which particular journal. So yeah, this is how I have approached it so far. Interesting. And also one of the things, the reason perhaps, or one of the reasons I mentioned that, is that, or made that sort of link, is that sometimes we, either PhD students or ECRs, are kind of being driven to go for uh, quality one journals rather than quality two journals and so on and so forth. So this sort of hierarchy within uh, the journal index as well. This is why I thought that it perhaps it's, it's really important to reflect as in why we're publishing first in order to be able to, yes, we're kind of, driven to go for quality one uh, journals and everything but also maybe at the very early at the very early stages of your academic career then you can engage with the idea of I need to communicate my research I need to communicate my ideas and I need to make conscious decisions about where to go and publish based on that. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think, hands down, as an ECR, you should definitely be looking for Q1 journals because obviously this is how the job market works. So to be very, very honest, I did the same thing. I looked for the journal profile, but was also very careful about the status of the journal. But that was not the only factor, as I said earlier. Majority of discussions and debate about the topic were also happening in that journal. So those two aspects coincided. I'm not sure if looking at the profile of the journal, that it is low in the status, should be the reason for you to choose that journal, if that makes sense. I think uh, one should always aspire for it, particularly as an ECR, because how the market is, aspire for a Q1 journal, irrespective of whatever other people say. Just apply for the lower status because you would be able to get your stuff out sooner. No, not really. I think the publication process still takes a long time. And if if you submit your manuscript for a Q1 journal, probably you would get a really good feedback as well in that status. 
if you can get at least one article out in Q1, then you can look for more options. But I don't think the state of the journal per se determines the speed of getting things out. And also, it does not really impact as much in terms of the quality of publication. You should be happy with it. You should be able to make judgment which journal is the best journal for you. And just submit. The ranking should not matter in that decision-making process. But obviously, aspire for Q1 because keeping in mind how the market works, it is best for personal interest, especially if one needs to stay in academia. So yeah, that would be my answer. But at the same time, I would say apply to different kinds of journals. I think different kinds of journal is more important than the ranking because you have different kinds of experiences. My experiences have been phenomenally different in terms of getting kinds of reviews if you are submitting in uh, very sociology-focused journals versus if you are submitting uh, your manuscript in a very education-focused journal. I can tell the difference in terms of the reviews. Obviously, they have different interests. So I think expanding the variety is much more important than the state of the journal per se. Yeah, very good point to make here. Thank you. Again, goes back to that sort of like conscious decisions about how to go forward with your arguments or with your ideas, but also with your career prospects and keeping that in mind as well. And one point that you mentioned as well is to be brave, I think, to be bold and brave enough to go for a Q1 status of uh, journals, for example. Although there is also another argument that maybe Q2 uh, journals are kinder in their kind of approach towards ECRs and, and PhD students in particular. So did you experience that yourself? I strongly believe it's a myth because I think it really depends on the quality of your argument. If you got really good data and if you are supporting it very well, I don't think that your status in academia matters. It's a, blind, it's a double blind reviewing process. And it is so for a particular reason. And I think it is important to trust that process a little bit. And as you said, be brave. But I would say just don't be scared at all. I mean, Again, a very good advice that I was given by a friend of mine who was doing a postdoc at the time when I was doing my PhD said, you got nothing to lose. You got really good argument. You got really good data. You spent one year in particular place to collect all this fantastic data. Why don't you try for the journal that you think is right for you? And I was hesitant as well at the time. I thought, Exactly the similar kind of thoughts were occurring to me. And she was just uh, upfront. She said, it doesn't really matter. You don't have anything to lose. If you think that what you're saying makes sense to you, if you're happy with it. Obviously, I collected some feedback from some of the good people around me uh, on my first draft. But then I just went with it. I mean, just I just went for it. I didn't have to think twice because of that advice. And it's the same advice I would give to everybody else, especially you who is listening. <laughs> but uh, d- definitely, there is, there is no reason for you to not submit to a journal just because you think it is a high-status journal and therefore won't publish your work. It's a double-blind reviewing process. Just trust it majority of the journals that have good profile they have really good track record they are very open to early career researchers 
They are, the early career researcher, researchers are bringing new ideas, not in terms of just topics, but also in terms of methodology, in terms of new insights, because they are growing up in a very different kind of environment that majority of the people who are older generation have grown up in. So I think there is new insight and new development already coming in uh, by the ECRs. Well, it doesn't really matter the age much, but obviously all of the people bring together different kinds of experiences and all of this is valued. And if the journal is not valuing that, that means it's not a right journal. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you should not submit to a journal just because it is high ranking. If it is a good journal, it will be open to anybody, everybody who is making good arguments, who is exploring something that is underexplored, full stop. Yeah, very good point that you made, to be honest. Thank you. And and because you've already touched on those kinds of vulnerable moments about having that sort of confidence to go ahead, um, submitting to a journal and uh, the anxiety that comes with it as well, to be honest. So I was just wondering, as in, it's not always, I'm sure that it's not always a story of successes, but uh, there are challenges that come along the way as well. And, and as, as I said, like lots of vulnerabilities in, in the process as well. So could you share with us what your experience is and any sort of like top tips to, to the audience about how to overcome them? Like one of the things that I have tried to do with every single writing of mine is to make sure that I'm happy with it before I'm submitting it. If I know I can improve certain sections, I give myself that time and improve that part of my article before submitting it. And in terms of vulnerability, I think that's where the vulnerability, at least for me, comes from. I just feel, did I do enough? Was it sufficient? Was the argument clear? Was it a strong argument? These are the questions that I usually grapple with. But the only way to tackle those are to read your draft and to make sure that I'm completely happy with what I'm sending. And in terms of rejections, it's usually the conversation. Publication is usually the conversation. You might get rejection on a particular article, but you will still get feedback. Even if it is a desk rejection, it will tell you that it doesn't fit with the interest of the journal. That in and of itself is a feedback. So reviewing process allows you to get that feedback. It is brilliant. So I don't see rejection as a rejection of me personally. I see it as it is on this particular piece of work for that particular reason that has been specified. So I depersonalize myself from the text a little bit. And with that, I just take it forward. If it requires major revision, then I do it. If it is completely rejected, I look at the feedback very carefully, try to understand their perspective, and then improve on it. Sometimes I've actually received reject and resubmit. That means they had specified that this is not currently in publication state, but it's a good topic. We're happy to publish it in this particular journal, but it needs revisions. But that kind of revision is not substantial revision. It really requires a much more substantial revision, with, which includes a different kind of theoretical inputs, different ways of analyzing data, etc. So I have actually worked in the past with those kind of feedback and that has improved my writing. So 
I don't consider rejection as a rejection of me or myself, but as a rejection of that particular piece of work for a particular reason. And I try to understand the reason and try to do what I can to make it publishable, either in the same journal or choose a different one. Uh, Obviously, there are vulnerabilities around, but I think it is always good to sit with the vulnerabilities, think about it. Um, I also try to do a little bit of meditative exercise with them, try to understand where are these coming from. If I'm able to tackle them, either personally just by myself or with the help of a collective, uh, going to the writing group, going to the reading group, talking to other people uh, in my peer group. So, yeah, this is how I have dealt with it so far. Obviously, everybody has different choices, so they might want to just sit with it by themselves, as I do. Others may want to talk to other people, which is fair enough. But it is just accepting that it is not the rejection of you as a person. It's a rejection of something that you produced, which could be improved with the help of the feedback. I think very, very valid points, to be honest. It's also using that sort of like pedagogical support in, in within your institution as well, whether that could be your PhD community, for example, make use of that by having a friendly, critical eye on, on the work and then giving advice, clarifying points and things like that. Uh, capitalize on that sort of support that exists within your institution. If you're an independent researcher or a, a practitioner, I'm sure that you have communities of practice and inquiry around you as well. Make use of that. And also, I think like it's a good advice that you use the network that you have. I'm sure that some people would uh, be uh, well uh, even established academics from my own experience to be honest are very happy to if you have the right network you can ask them to give like some sort of feedback uh, on your writing on your proposal for example for a journal or a special issue those kinds of things that you should that people should capitalize on and it might be easier said than than done of course but I do understand that but on the other hand there are opportunities and it's it's good to explore those sorts of opportunities in order to to avoid um, a make it or break it type of experience, I would say. So, yeah, it's very, very valid points. Thank you very much, Achla. So, yeah, I think these were the, some of the questions that may have been in our audience uh, mind when when you first had your webinar in June. And uh, we continue the conversation, by the way. Uh, It's a never-ending, I would say. But thank you very much for your time and and great insights and for sharing your experience and and tips for people who have been uh, where you have been in their place at some point. Still, you are an ECR. And one takeaway from our discussion today, I think, is the importance uh, of reflecting on our motivation, embrace our vulnerabilities, and use them as driving forces for for better outcome in terms of writing and and publication prospects. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, your time today and hope to see you in other podcasts. Thank you.